The Badger said nothing, for now Peter and Miraz were entering the list from opposite ends, both on foot, both in chain shirts with helmets and shields. They advanced till they were close together, both bowed and seemed to speak, but it was impossible to hear what they said. Next moment, the two swords flashed in the sunlight. For a second, the clash could be heard, but it was immediately drowned because both armies began shouting like crowds at a football match. Welcome to the Chronicles of Podcast, where we are doing a chapter-by-chapter deep dive into the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I'm Chase. And I'm Kel. (laughs) (laughs) And thank you all for joining us today. Thank you, Kel, for joining me today. Man, barely Uh, barely made it. Uh, Just a reminder that we are talking about the fourth book in the series, Prince Caspian. Uh, But general, general spoiler warning... Man, I can never get over it. It's been a rough intro for us so far. Further <laughs> <laughs> warning for the whole Narnia series, as well as a heads up that we do go on tangents into other stories that we enjoy. We will do our best to give spoiler warnings along the way if there's anything too far out there. But today we are doing we are discussing Prince Caspian, chapter 14, how all were very busy. Everyone's real busy. busy. That intro. Everyone's busy. I'm too busy to pay attention. You're too busy to speak words correctly. Yeah. It happens, man. I guess so. And you know what? You can't edit podcasts. You can't re-record. No. So we're plowing through. No. What does this look like? A professionally run uh, organization? No. Definitely. Absolutely not. We leave Wait. our mistakes and our flaws because that's what brings us the dozens of listeners that we have today. <laughs> I mean... This is probably coming out on Christmas, so we're. Uh, I'm going to blame it on the holiday. Too too much. Uh, too too much. What, what's Christmas ham? Christmas ham? I don't know. Moving we'll on. Let's keep talking. Kel, what the heck was this chapter about? How busy were they? <laughs> I'm glad you asked. Let me give you a summary. Uh, Trumpkin and the Badgers sat looking over the battlefield, and where the challenge grounds were staked out, with marshals from each side stationed around. Peter shook hands with Edmund and the doctor, then walked down to the combat. Truffle Hunter and Trumpkin remarked how they wish Aslan had turned up before the fight, because that would have been really, really convenient. Uh, But also saw that hundreds and thousands of dryads and the like were turning up to their cause because Aslan had woken them. They watched as Peter and Miraz began their fight. Peter got in a good start, then Miraz returned with his height and weight on him, and then the two circled each other more methodically. They both took some damage and then after a while agreed to a rest. Peter had his wrist tied up, said to give his best to those at home if he were to die in the fight, which is not ominous at all, and then returned to the battle. They both fought hard, and then at one point, Miraz tripped. And rather than waiting for him to get up or, you know, let like Peter being honorable is letting him, you know, take his time. He doesn't want to stab a man in the back while he's down. But as opposed to just waiting for him to return to his feet, the Telmarines yelled that Peter had stabbed him in the back and rushed the field. And as they did this, Glazelle, uh, one of his uh, earlier captains, had early, who had conspired against him, stabs him in the back and said, uh, the, the Lannisters send their regards. Wait, no, hold on. Uh, he, he whispers, this is for the insult earlier. Uh, and he stabs him in the back. And the Narnian side rushes in and engages in full combat. The mice run in, stabbing people in the feet. Uh, and then as they fall, they murder them. Uh, and then before the old Narnians could even really warm up, the awakened trees enter the battle and chase the Telmarines to the river where they found the bridge they were hoping to cross was gone. And then we cut to Aslan and the girls 
because Aslan had woken them up in the middle of the night with Bacchus and Salinas and their wild ragers, uh, and they went and freed the river god from his chains by turning the bridge into plants and collapsing it into the water because down with the bridges. Uh, and then they went into the town of Baruna and began turning the buildings to plants, and some of the townspeople fled, and others joined Aslan, and even the uh, and, and farm animals came out to join them and they turned a man who was beating a boy into a tree and some troublesome boys into pigs to free their teacher. And Aslan healed an old woman on her deathbed and they all went laughing and singing to the place where Miraz's army stood throwing down their swords in surrender. They healed the, the old woman who had been healed, uh, jumped off Aslan's back and embraced Caspian because for everyone who definitely was listening to all of these podcasts and has been paying a lot of attention, this was the old nurse that Caspian used to have, who was mentioned in like one paragraph, who had told one story to Caspian in early his life. And the chapter ends, Chase. I believe you're muted. If you were paying very close attention to a single sentence in chapter one of this book, then you were very ready for the last sentence Man, of chapter I was, 14. I was been, I've been waiting 13 chapters for this payoff, Chase. Uh, man, it's really, the whole story is actually about the nurse the whole time. Chase, weren't we all the nurse in some way or another? And I'll tell you who wasn't the nurse, that bridge. That bridge needs a nurse. That bridge needs a nurse. But Acnea doesn't have to worry about inflation because they don't have any infrastructure anymore. Bingo. Easier to not pay taxes when your taxes go to nothing. Boom. Let's do this. Uh, so... They, we come upon uh, the Narnian army kind of gazing over the battlefield. Uh, there's, you know, a big square space of grass that had been kind of leveled and uh, cleared out for the, uh, you know, trial by combat. Uh, they're looking out everything. The marshals are gathering. Peter and uh, Mraz are getting ready. And Trumpkin and Trouble Hunter are like, man, wish Aslan was here. And they're saying what every person who reads the book says, where it's like, this would be a lot easier if Aslan just showed up and did Aslan things? I mean, then there wouldn't be a story, right? It's like how every movie would be ruined if there were cell phones. Like, you can't just give them the answer. You gotta make them work for yeah. it. It's gotta bleed but for it a little bit. It leads to question. This is, you know, the C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien problem of, like, why insert characters like Gandalf and Aslan if you don't use them? Because then you go, what are you here for? I mean, in both situations, because then it would just be deus ex machina. Like, Sure. But you, they do, when they're there and they do things, they do deus ex machina x things. Like, they, like Gandalf kills a demon mountain guy and, like, comes back to life because Gandalf, CS, or, uh, Narnia, uh, Aslan, murders the white witch off screen and then just wakes everyone up from stone. Like I mean, this is why you send Captain Marvel to the other side of space so that you don't have to deal with the question of wouldn't Captain Marvel have solved all of this in like a yeah, second. You don't have to deal with that problem. And the Avenger, the rest of the Avengers cast who apparently had a problem with Brie Larson don't have to deal with her. So it's great. <laughs> it works out. Everyone's always mad at strong women. It's the moral of the story. I that's that's what I like. I question about that whole situation. I'm like, how much of this was just her being like a strong woman who didn't like who was like, no, I'm not going to take crap. 
Yeah, like a professional actress who should yeah. be expecting to work with a professional cast instead of how Marvel famously has uh, has behind the scenes like power struggle issues with their stories and actors and writers. I don't know what you're talking about. There's no way that this thing's happened. Go Spider-Man, go. Go Spider-Man, go. Uh, there's no, there's definitely no drama with that movie uh, and the you know production companies surrounding them. But um, look, I was I laughed out loud at the end of that movie when I saw the big Sony logo come up on the scene. On oh, the scene. dude, they man in <laughs> the I credits. Totally this is yeah. this is not a spoiler. Yeah, this is not a spoiler for Spider-Man. Literally in the credits, Sony owned the rights to Spider-Man. Yeah, Um, you have uh, all the credits. Like a very, it is the largest logo and the slowest moving logo in all the credits at the very end. And I laughed out loud. For everyone who watches a Marvel movie, you know, and you kind of know the order of the credits to expect, right? You go through all the names, then you see the songs, and then you see the like the different companies that were attached to it that are all like they all take up about like a sixth of the page or so uh, or of the screen ish and then they all scroll through and you see the end credit scene not this time folks you see a giant like all those the logos pass and then boom sony <laughs> boom paramount and then the end credit scene <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it was very like, hey, in case you were wondering why we couldn't do this until now, just just to let you know. Yeah, this is definitely our doing, not Kevin Feige's. <laughs> but again, as we said last podcast, this is not a Spider-Man podcast. This is not a Spider-Man yet. podcast, not yet. Not Spider-Man yet. doesn't come into this story until the next book. I believe that's the silver chair. Uh, yeah, because yeah, he's a so- spider. Man, yeah, because the chair is made out of webs. Sure. Or maybe there's just spider webs underneath the ground where half of that story takes place. That's where the spider originated that bit Peter Parker. That would make more sense. And he transported through the wood between the world. Yeah, and then he faded into nothingness and left his uh, drink order on the table, and that's yep. all. that's, that's the only left on. But we, so we come back to Aslan and the, and the gang, well, not Aslan because he's gone. Uh, and they're like, man, it'd be a bummer. Like we wish Aslan was here, but at least he woke up these thousands of tree like spirits. Uh, I wonder if that's going to come into play later. Probably not. No, but definitely not. They're exactly. like, like <laughs> Trumpkin's like, well, that'll be useful if, you know, the enemy doesn't try anything treacherous. Yeah. Again, Wonder if that's going to come into play. Probably not. They're not telegraphing the entire plot of this chapter. Nah, they're very subtle. Clive, subtlety, Lewis. Uh, but they, uh, the fight begins. They, you know, advance towards each other. They, you know, speak, and then they begin circling each other. Uh, and the fight begins, and it's you know fairly even matched. Peter's doing really well at the beginning, and he's you know uh, he he nicks uh, uh, Miraz under the armpit. Uh, draws first blood, uh, as Rambo would say, uh, and well, it's probably way more, way less intelligible. He's like, first blood, but uh, he he goes through, uh, and but we realize that Peter's arm has been hurt, his shield arm, and it's hanging limply. Uh, and 
like, thank goodness, they both agreed to arrest so that we can figure out what happened because it's hard to get exposition in a chapter where people are just fighting. They they do try very hard to give exposition in this chapter, though, while they're fighting. They uh, try. How like often do people, like, do a boxing match, like, intermission in the middle of a sword fight? Yeah. Like, a to-the-death challenge you don't typically see both sides go to their corner and uh, debrief in the middle of the fight. Cut me, Mick. Cut me. I'm blind out there. Uh, so they go for it. Uh, Peter's like, yeah, I think I strained my arm, but if you just tie it, I'll be fine. Yeah. And they're like, okay. Cause he's a nurse. That makes sense. So they tie it, arm, it works. And he's fine. Uh, and so he's like, Hey, he's really heavy. Just don't let him lean on you. Okay. Done. Good call. Uh, also, if I die out there, tell mom, I love her. You probably won't see her because we haven't ever met mom and dad, but like tell, tell uncle Diggory, maybe tell, tell everybody back home, whoever they might be. That tell that really mean house care uh, lady. Um, tell her. Tell her that I love her, uh, and 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 the giant Wimbleweather. Tell him. Yeah, he it's no. And you know what? Tell Trunkin because he's been a brick. Tell yeah. him that I love him. Yeah. Now, Kel, if you were just casually out and about with friends and whatnot, sure. And someone said, "Oh, you're such a brick." How would you take that? I would take it as an insult. I would consider my. I would say, do you think I'm stupid? Yeah, that feels like it's either a comment on smarts or like side, like like probably dumb, both. Like it yeah. feels like a fat joke almost. It's, it's both a dumb joke, a fat joke, and also a size joke. Yeah, it's this is a really case, insult. In this case, I think he means, man, that dude's solid, like a brick. I, I also think he's saying that because I think he's been like, man, Duncan, love that guy. He's a brick. Wow. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this is not how I would receive this. Um, this is like, like if you were like trying to compliment like a girl who's really like powerful and muscular, like, wow, you are stout. It's like, oh, no. What? Again, no, like you're that's when you just like, color really well built. Oh, stop. Yeah. Maybe just in general, no one don't needs comment to comment on anyone's physical appearance anymore. Just don't. We're Probably over it. Best We're good. Yeah, best to not. Uh and so uh, you know, he he says, you know, give everyone my love if I die, which foreshadows his death. That's not going to happen. Like, so it's just kind of weird. And it it's it's not even like they wait a long time where like, is he going to die? Like he immediately comes out and starts winning. Uh, and then Mraz trips and Peter's like, well, I'm not going to kill him. Like, and so he just waits uh, for Mraz to like get up. Which he's down for a long time for just tripping over a root. Like that's. Maybe he's waiting for Peter to kill him. He expects to be killed, you know? Uh, I don't know. And so he's just chilling for a long time. And Peter's like, well, I'm not going to stab a defenseless dude in the back. Like, cause there's no honor in that. 
And so he's just chilling. And then this is where everything breaks loose because uh, Glazelle and Sepespian uh, decide this is their perfect chance. And they're like, treachery, treachery. And everyone's really confused. And they rush the Narnians. And then Glazelle, like very much so like Red Wedding style, like leans, leans down and he's like, compliments from uh, Tywin Lannister and stabs him in the back. Mm. I mean, at least Moraz wasn't pregnant. Although he did just have a child, to be fair. He I don't know if that's ever addressed. I don't know if it will be in the rest of this book. I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, what do you do with the potential usurper to the throne? Uh, I mean, we know if this was Game of Thrones, what would happen? But yeah, we're not. Maybe would be. Uh, we don't need to have that sacrificed kind of to a fire demon. Uh, okay, so you're you're the red woman, not the mountain, in this situation. It's a little bit of both. Uh, but um, so they stab uh, Miraz in the back. He is now dead, and they rush the Narnian army, which turns out to be a terrible idea for the Talmarine army because they thought that they had the numbers, but in fact. They didn't count on a few things, Chase. First, the front line for Narnia. You've got a giant, a centaur, a bear, some dwarves. Like, they're pretty, their front line's tough. Second thing they didn't count on, death from below. True, true. The the real hero of the story. Reba Chief and his swarm of mice stabbing people in the ankles. Honestly, a great tactic. No one's looking down at your feet in the middle of a battle, and then boom, you're you can't stand up, so you fall, and then what happens when you're on the ground? Slit your throat. You're dead. Reepicheep, death from below. Reepicheep has the highest body count out of any of the rules on the Narnian side. His his body count is staggering. Like, dude does not play. It's shocking. We should probably like have a conversation with Reba Chief. Like, dude, you're going a little far. Like, Reba Chief's the he's definitely the guy that like stabs a Telmarine through the heart and then looks at his bloody sword and's like and like licks the blood off, uh, just to like as a sign of intimidation and dominance. Is Reba Chief the Ronin of Narnia? 100% he is. He's the guy that's doing what is necessary. But no one else wants to do. He's taken out the crime lords, i.e., the Telmarines, and yeah. he's like he feels no shame about it. You know, he's got to do what he's got to do. I mean, he'll have a dark period where he feels shame about it, but it's not here. He, sure, and then ultimately, vigilante justice. Ultimately, point. his best female mouse friend is going to give up her life and then get zero credit for it. Yeah. So it's and then he's going to project his entire relationship with that person onto some random kid that he just met. But he's going to get a dope Christmas-themed Disney Plus show. That's so. true. That's true. And it we'll all works out. Delightful scenes with his ex-best friend's sister. So Yeah, totally. all good. It all works out. So that was the second thing that the Tumorans didn't count on was death from below. But the third thing, Chase, they didn't count on were the Ents. And by the Ents, I mean the Wood Spirits and yeah. the giant moving forest. What is this? A battle for ants? <laughs> Boom! Got him. This is why you guys keep coming back every week, except for the weeks where we take a break. Uh, yeah, except for the weeks that we forget to schedule it in advance and then have to uh, decide last minute that it's not happening. Yep. But 
they so they see this giant mass of forest and then c.s lewis does the, the one of these things where it's like have you ever been in this situation where you've heard the wind rustling through the trees and it's really powerful it's like that except the trees are rushing at you trying to kill you and it's like c.s lewis this makes no sense no one has ever been in this situation and c.s lewis i think accidentally ate a weird mushroom in the woods he's uh He's having some visions. He's having a good time. And it's only going to get weirder because they run away from the trees and they get to the to the river because they're like, all right, whatever. We'll just cross into Baruna, kind of set up some fortifications and everything there. But then, Chase, wouldn't you believe it? The bridge is gone. Crazy. I wonder how that happened. Let me tell you. I'm glad next- you asked, listener. I'm glad you asked. And we'll tell you right now. So apparently, Aslan and the girls, we cut to their perspective. He wakes them up in the middle of the night after their rager with the uh, Roman gods of debauchery. uh, And they decide, hey, I know you're hungover, but let's have a great time here uh, and let's go do some work. And they go, great. Uh, And then Salinas and Bacchus are like, sweet, let's come too. Hey, wild party girls, come join us. And they're like, okay. And they do it, right? And they all knows the best cure for a hangover is to keep partying. Keep it going, right? And so they get to the bridge of Baruna and then giant water man comes out of the river with a water beard. And he says, hail Lord, loose my chains. Uh, And Susan's like, who is that? Uh, And Lucy's like, that's obviously the river God. Shut your mouth. Okay. Like, why are you even here? Come on. yeah. Are bridges chains though? <laughs> break every chain, break every bridge. Uh, yeah, this is like it becomes useful for what we just talked about at the end of the battle. But like, why is getting rid of the bridge getting rid of the chains of the <laughs> of the river god? Like the river bridge- obviously can't keep flowing because a bridge exists. 30 feet ahead or like above it like i mean a bridge is not a dam that's like it's a different thing not what that attitude is isn't chase but also if that was the case wouldn't he have been mad at the beavers back in language and wardrobe like yeah but you know the beavers dam wasn't preventing an opposing army from fleeing so i mean fair it is plot convenience above all but so he says, all right, Bacchus, deliver from him from his change. And he just turns it into a bunch of plants. Because yeah. why not? He's, look, well, like, cards on the table. I don't know anything about the legends of Bacchus and Silenus. I don't know a lot of Roman mythology. But does he have the power to turn stuff to plants? With cons- I was very much, you know, under the impression he was like the wine and party god. But whatever. I mean, know. probably like every, everything was a fertility god back then. Does that count as fertility, turning things into pl- turning stone to plant? Why not? Chase, basically, I'm going to be, I'm going to level with you here. The whole next like four or five pages, I don't understand them. They just kind of happen. It feels very random to me. And I know you're going to talk about this a little bit later, but basically what happens is the bridge gets turned into plants and they're like, great. And so then they go to this town uh, and it, they happen upon a, a, a school, uh, a Narnian girls school, 
okay. And they're getting a history lesson. Uh, and then, you know, C.S. Lewis has to make sure that he gets some social commentary in here going like, hey, the history that was taught there isn't actually history because it was taught by Mraz uh, and his administration, uh, you know, real like Nazi Germany history vibes here, like yeah. misteaching history. And also the school's bad because it makes its students wear their hair tight and have to wear tight collars and yeah. socks. Yeah. And so... They come upon this and uh, Miss Prizzle, not Miss Frizzle, uh, is a mean teacher who doesn't believe Gwendolyn. And Gwendolyn's like, but there's a lion. And then, boom, they destroy this like school uh, and they free, uh, they free Gwendolyn and bring her about after destroying this school. Um, and he's like, come on. And she's like, great, will do. And then they come upon uh, the rest of the town and... Uh, just a bunch of weird things happen, Chase. Yeah, it's, I mean, they are going through basically just turning the buildings to, to plants again. And buildings while they're going through, branches. like, all the, the animals. animals. Yeah. Yeah, all the animals are, like, running out of farms and houses and stuff to join them. Every now, like, most of the people are just running for their lives, but a couple of them are like, that seems like a good time and like join Aslan's side. It's, it's weird. They come across like a man who's beating a boy in his front yard with a stick and the stick bursts into a flower. And then the guy turns into a tree. It, it this is so confusing. This is so weird. It makes no sense, but you know, they keep going. We, we had the girls' school that was too stuffy, and then the boys' school where all the boys are like pigs, so they turn into pigs. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> because real, real Pinocchio vibes. It is funny to me that in the like girls' school, like the kids are the prisoners, in the boys' school, the teacher is the prisoner. Mm. Like, if all of these are like little stories of people being freed from their captivity. The the person in captivity at the girls' school at the boys' school is the teacher. Honestly, that, that is funny. Be real. Yeah, it's like makes sense, reasonable. Yeah, uh, but then Chase, they come upon uh, our last little uh, little person that you know we we want to address is this old ill woman who's looks like she's on her deathbed, and uh, you know she she she's just you know, not doing great, but then she sees Aslan and she goes, Oh, dope. Aslan, you've come to take me away. Like I'm finally dead. Thank Lord. Like you've, you've come to end my suffering. And he's like, I have come for you, but not to bring you to death. And she's like, Oh, darn. Uh, not the long journey yet. Yep. Uh, we'll come back for that later, you know, but then he, uh, you know, heals her. Uh, and she's like, well, you know what? I feel a lot better. Think yeah. I'll go for a walk. Well, I mean, she can't stay in her house because Aslan also destroyed her house in the process of healing her. Correct. Uh, it's too big to get into her house, so he knocked her house over. Very, very disestablishment uh, is is Aslan. He's he's you know uh, he's he's a fight the power kind of guy, even though he is the power. So it's ironic, um, but oh, just so like random and ironic, like wow. Wow, look at him, so random. But uh, then Bacchus, you know, he's like, here, I'll help. And he goes to the well 
and then brings out a pitcher of water to her. But Chase, wouldn't you believe it? The wine god turns water into wine and just gives it to this old lady. Red as red currant jelly, smooth as oil, strong as beef, warming as tea, cool as dew. Disgusting. This is not an appetizing description of wine. But apparently that's, you know, that's what she likes. Uh, And she's like, like, Aslan's like, all right, you'll ride on my back. Queens, y'all, you're going to run now. They're like, great. We're great runners. That's what we wanted to do anyway. And they come upon the end of the chapter, Chase, where... The army, uh, the Narnian army has surrounded the has surrounded Miraz's army and they've thrown all their weapons down. Everyone's having a great time. And Chase, wouldn't you believe it? The old woman was Caspian's nurse from the beginning of the book. Man, man, she was his mom the whole time. I mean, the nurse the whole time. But like, they're such a weird like like storyline to fulfill. It's like, not that I wish for death by any means, but like, I feel like this would have been more powerful if she was killed for her crime. Yeah, it was kind of implied that she was. It's weird that she's just living her life in this town that's like very well known and established in the book. And yeah, I mean... I don't know that she was like, yes, she was an inciting character for Caspian's journey, but she wasn't a significant enough personality to need this kind of full circle resolution as a character arc. Like she was not one of the characters. She was like a background detail. Yeah. Agreed. So, but she likes wine. So now she's, she's the real one. She's all better now. But Chase, do you have anything else before we dive further up and further in? Uh, only that you shouldn't make the last sentence in the chapter start with the phrase and the first thing that happened. Like, don't yeah. end with the first thing. That is it's a great piece of writing advice for all of you, uh, you literary scholars out there. It's, uh, um, it's not how you do a cliffhanger. No, but... Chase, uh, I'll start us off. Uh, my further up and further in, uh, I want to dive into, it's a phrase that we've used quite a bit uh, throughout these uh, podcasts, but it's the phrase deus ex machina, right? What this means, it's a common uh, literary trope. Uh, it means God out of the machine. Basically, uh, this is a way for writers, storytellers to have something magical or extra natural, super powerful happen that kind of just solves whatever problem you're dealing with, right? This is the like, oh man, I wish that we, you know, what are we going to do? Oh, boom. God shows up and just makes everything go away, right? You'll see this in a lot of, uh, you know, fictional like stories where, you know, there's no, like, there's no way to like beat the enemy or do something. And then you just see something good happen. This is a similar this is not quite as bad because it was at least a reference throughout the rest of the book. But this is kind of an example of this where you see Aslan, like the reason that the Narnians win is because he wakes up all the trees and he just frees and they now have thousands and thousands more soldiers than they once did. And they're all unbeatable trees. Uh, and so they get to fight. You see this in the previous book where 
you know, everyone, there's no way that the Narnians can win. But then Aslan comes back from the grave. He kills the White Witch. He frees everyone from their stone uh, prisons. Uh, he is literally God in this universe. So he just, when he comes in, they win, correct? And so this is this idea of uh, you have to balance when you have a God character in here. How do you write it well? And I think C.S. Lewis generally does a fairly good job of at least setting up the ground rules and parameters of what they're capable of, what Aslan is capable of, what he's going to do, um, kind of letting people know, hey, the trees, if they need to be awoken kind of thing. Uh, and so how do you balance this incredible turn of fortune and fate for the good guys without just being like, oh, and then like this happened, right? Uh, all of a sudden he turned Super Saiyan and he can si he can finally do this and now he can win. Like it's like if you write this poorly, it becomes a cheap win. But I think C.S. Lewis does a decent job of at least setting this idea up where even though it is God literally creating and doing uh, the, the winning here, it doesn't feel cheap because it had its basis somewhere. Yeah. So from my further up and further in, uh, I just wanted to touch on some of the themes of this chapter uh, revolving around freedom. Um, so this chapter kind of revolves around two battles for the soul of Narnia, right? On the one hand, Peter is fighting Miraz in a sword fight to free Narnia from the oppression of a false king. On the other hand, Aslan and the girls are traveling the land to free Narnia from the oppressions of everyday life, whether it be overly stuffy work or abusive men or the sickness that leads to death. And both of these kind of run parallel to represent the freedom that Aslan is unleashing in his country. Both are battles in their own right. Peter's battle is physical and bloody. Uh, Aslan's battle is more ideological and about what kind of world ought to be embraced by the people living in it. The, the people that have their houses destroyed by being turned into plants have to make a decision of do we want to join this joyous celebration or do we want to flee back to the old ways um so if peter was to win against moraz but the everyday telmarine person continued to live in their old ways true freedom hasn't come at the same time if the culture of the telmarines starts to look more joyous and narnian but they're still under the rule of the wrong king, they aren't free either. Either So freedom comes with both the physical and the, the cultural or ideological oppressors are both thrown off. Um, and of course, all of it's a metaphor for the work of Jesus, defeating death and overthrowing the power of sin in people's everyday lives that leads to the death in the people he calls to himself. Right on. Well, Chase... I'm feeling uh, feeling more and more plant-like by the minute, but thank goodness uh, I found this pitcher of water. It smells oddly like beef. Um, and, uh, you know, before I consume this real quick, I want to uh, give the listeners a, an opportunity to help us out and uh, give us a, a chance to grow as a podcast. Uh, you can find us anywhere where you find podcasts, Audible, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Uh, on Apple Podcasts and uh, places like that, please leave us a five-star review. It's awesome. It helps us be found by more listeners. Uh, leave a comment for us. Uh, go follow us on Instagram at, at, the, pod, uh, at the Chronicles of Podcasts. Uh, we help engage with us, and uh, we'll let you know when the next podcasts are coming out. Uh, but in the meantime, Chase, 
it's like we were the nurse the whole time. Mm. And I think sometimes we just need a hug. I am Groot. But that's I'm mean, a little bit Jesus-y, like setting the captives free, but break every chain. Break every chain. I mean, you could say he's a waymaker. Miracle, miracle worker. Promise keeper. Is he a light in the darkness, Chase? I think he's a plant in the darkness, is what I took from this. Plant in the darkness. You are a piece of algae in the ocean that doesn't Which, really get a lot of light. Is the implication here both that 